So the, uh, the sermon this morning is called Sermon in a Song, and um, when you hear that kind of music, a couple of things can happen. You get so enraptured with the quality that you, that you miss the message. Uh, you get so uh, taken away by, by the beauty of the moment that uh, you don't necessarily hear the content. And so as I, I've, I've had the opportunity to come into one or two rehearsals. I was here yesterday morning with them. And so uh, I got some time to dwell on the content and, uh, and read the lyrics. And so what I wanted to do for just a few minutes this morning is remind us of what was said to us through song this morning, because the message of the gospel is pervasive throughout that. And it's not just about holiday cheer. It's not just about being uh, in good spirits, but it's about the grace and the mercy of God that has found sinners like us. So I want to just uh, remind us of a couple of things that were sung to us this morning. We started out uh, with the notion of sing Noel, and within the context of, of that opening song and, and in the closing song, uh, the words were used, grateful hearts. We sing with grateful hearts. And so my first observation is here is that our voices and our lives should be voices and lives of praise, of worship. We mentioned uh, this passage last week, but in 1 Peter, Peter writes this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See what it says there, God has caused you to be born again if your faith is in Christ. God has caused me to be born again. We, we didn't take the step toward God and then he said, oh, I'm so glad you found me. Now let me reveal myself to you. God took the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, however many steps it took to bring you into the kingdom of God. You might be a two-step person. I'm about a 17-step person, okay? But whatever steps were taken, it was God who took them. God, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again into a living hope in Christ Jesus because of his resurrection from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Peter rightly says that your life and my life, because of Mary's son, because of the work of our Savior to defeat sin and death and hell should be people who live lives of praise. People whose voices speak of praise. I had the opportunity on Friday, was invited by a friend to go down to Bennett Springs and go fly fishing. Uh, we had a great day. It was a wonderful day, a little chilly, but we had a great time until we were on our way back and we got to St. Clair, right around St. Clair, Missouri. Uh, and we got to St. Clair, Missouri right around 5.15, and we got home at 10.30. (laughs) I wasn't living a life of praise. (laughs) I wasn't saying very many praiseful type things. And yet, if there's anybody who should be grateful, it's me. There's anybody who should be able to look at their life and see the brokenness and see, see the rebellion against God and yet see his grace and his mercy and his compassion, it should be me. So one of the the observations and one of the questions I want to ask myself and you this morning, if we're disciples of Jesus, do our lives and our voices glorify God? Do we have a habit of praise? 
We have a habit of praise. One of the things I do when I sit down to read my Bible, it, it takes me a few minutes in Scripture to kind of figure out where I am emotionally that particular day. Because I kind of sit down and I pop it open to where I'm studying. I start reading and I just kind of, I'm not going through the emotions, but I'm just kind of getting into it. It takes a few minutes before I, I, I can figure out whether or not I'm emotionally and, and intellectually engaged or whether I'm distracted. It takes me a few minutes to figure out whether uh, I, I'm, I'm being humble for the Lord or whether I'm being prideful. And so I read until I praise. Sometimes that's a couple of minutes. Sometimes that's up to an hour. But I read until I have no other option but to praise God because the words on the page are alive and they're reminding me of God's mercy and grace. Our voices in our lives, lives of praise. My second observation, our voices and lives, do they prepare the way? The second song that was sung was really revolving around uh, the ministry and the life of John the Baptist. Uh, and uh, the speaker uh, represented Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. And it talked about preparing the way. But John the Baptist, the, the words we read in the Gospels about John the Baptist are actually a quote that come out of Isaiah chapter 40. And a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain will be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. God intends for his salvation pathway to be clear. To be easy to grasp. To be easy to be realized so that sometimes you're walking through a valley and again it gets dark and you can't see where the valley's going to be raised. Sometimes you're on a mountain and it's rocky and it's dangerous. That's going to be made low. It's all going to be made even. Our theme for this Christmas season is God spoke. And as we looked at, as we look at the passages of Christmas, as we listen to the words this morning, it's clear that God spoke very, very distinctly and very clearly to everybody involved. So think about that for just a second. He spoke to Mary, and he spoke to Joseph, and he spoke to the shepherds, uneducated people, very simple people, people that, that were not uh, intellectually savvy, they weren't well-traveled, they weren't well-versed, and yet God made his message incredibly clear to them. To the humble, he spoke in a way that they could understand. But also note that God spoke to Zechariah. Notice that he spoke to the wise men. I, I love that in Brehab coming out and, and, and being one of the wise men because he actually is that smart. He, he really is. <laughs> and, and God has spoken to Adam Brehab. Adam's a disciple of Jesus. God speaks to the intellectual. You're not too simple for God's message, nor are you too smart for it. God speaks to all of us. And if he does that, if he does that in Scripture, don't you think that, that he will make your pathway to him smooth? Don't you think that he, he loves you enough? Do you think he'll, he'll actually make it harder for you than for others? Do I actually have that much pride in my heart that I think that God could speak to other people, but he can't speak to Tom Ricks? I think the songs this morning remind us that God is finding a pathway to us. And if we are disciples of Jesus this morning, part of our responsibility is to be involved in that pathway. Part of our responsibility is to make sure that our lives are lives of praise and of worship to God so that others see our lives, they see our witness, 
not our pride, not our arrogance, but our humility and our kindness and our compassion and our grace. And they're drawn to the message of Jesus. It's our job to help make sure there's a clear pathway for everyone with whom we come into contact to see Jesus. Voices and lives of praise, voices and lives that prepare the way. But also, another, a third observation, I have four total. Third observation is, is what we've heard this morning uh, in, this, in this passage is kind of a no-excuse salvation, all right? This world, we heard as, as it was sung, is filled with scorn and with shame. It's a broken world. It's a world that, that's filled with a lot of pain and anxiety and hurt. Some of you are here this morning, and you're smiling on the outside because that's what you're supposed to do in church. You're supposed to smile. When somebody says, good morning, how are you? You're supposed to say, everything's great. It's okay. It's wonderful. And some of us are on the verge of tears. And so I'm not the only guy that cries around here, right? Some of us barely got here today, not because of the weather, but because our heart's so heavy. Some of us are here because we know we're supposed to be here, and we know that God will meet us here, but it sure doesn't feel like it, and it hasn't felt like it for a long, long time. And yet, our reaction can be, you know, God simply can't know my pain. God can't relate to me. After all, he's God. He, he's up there in heaven. He's got the whole glory thing, the whole angel thing going on. He has every need met. He has all, all these throngs of people around him. How could God possibly know my loneliness? How could God possibly know my depression? How could God possibly know the, the physical uh, infirmities that I have every, every day of my life? And I want to, to remind you that, that we sung that song, not to say, gee, isn't it too bad that God doesn't know our, our shame and our hurt and our brokenness, but rather that God enters into it with us. Paul, in speaking about Jesus in the book of Philippians, says this, Have the same attitude as Jesus, who, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be held tightly and, 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 and never let it go. But he emptied himself, and he became a servant. And being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Jesus had it all. He was in heaven. He's the object of praise and worship, but he gave all of that up. Notice how, how, how Paul wrote these words. words. He emptied himself. He became a servant. He didn't have to do that. Nobody forced him to do that. That was his choice. That was the pathway that he picked because he knew you needed a savior and he knew I needed a savior. And he knew that we had so corrupted our lives and so broken this world and our rebellion against him that there was no way we were going to be able to dig ourselves out of this problem. And so the words of the song are accurate. We live in a world filled with scorn, filled with shame. And yet Jesus became a child of poverty. We sang, what child is this? Well, this is the child who sacrificed the glory of heaven in order to save you and, from, and me. So there really is no pain in my life. There's no oppression in this world. There's no sickness or vulnerability or sorrow or shame that he doesn't understand. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so I can't sit here this morning and say, well, it's nice for you folks that have everything going well in your life to believe in Jesus, but I've got a lot of problems and he's of no use to me. Go back and read the Gospels. Uh, we're going to be back here in a few months for Holy Week, for Good Friday, 
for the for the for the the uh, the death of Jesus Christ for the suffering of Jesus Christ. We we will be reminded of that in just three short months. This morning, let's remember that Christ went that far so that we could have salvation. Then my last observation about the songs that were sung this morning is simply this, that heaven has come for us. I invite you to put your name in there. Heaven has come for Tom. Put your name in that spot. Do you believe that's true? There's a triumph of the skies. That's what's been sung. God's grace in Christ Jesus wins. And just at the right time, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, God sent his son. Notice the agreement between Jesus and God the Father, right? God, Jesus chose to humble himself. He chose to give up heaven. And the Father chose to send him. They're completely unified in this grace and in this salvation. Just at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, the obligation of the law. Jesus had to keep the law perfectly in order to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we may be adopted as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word in the Greek there for son, it means the privileged one. It doesn't mean boy or girl. It means, it means the child of honor. The oldest child in the ancient family was the one that inherited the, the bulk of, of the inheritance. They were the one that, were to, that was to carry on the family business. They were the one that was uh, just, you know, a step above the rest, not in love, but in, in gifting and responsibility. And what Paul is saying is here is that all of us are, are the special one through Christ Jesus. There was no place God wouldn't go. There was no price he was unwilling to pay. There was no sitting back and, and waiting and hoping, but there was an active plan of providing salvation. It, it's like a lover pursuing their beloved. So uh, for, I don't know, 25 years, my wife Cindy has wanted a pickup truck. And an old beat-up used pickup truck is not that hard to come by. But a pickup truck that you can actually drive around and use, they're a little more expensive these days. And we just celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary uh, about a month ago. And, and the better news beyond that is that all of our kids, none of them live with us. And they all live in other cities, right? So we sent them a little money every once in a while, but, but I got a raise when they all moved out and I didn't even make more money. It was wonderful, right? <laughs> Point being, we can, we, we can afford a pickup truck now. But I didn't just give her a pickup truck. I surprised her with it. She drove my car to school and parked in her spot thinking that uh, I was taking her other car in for an oil change. And when she came back out in that parking spot was a red pickup truck. And I'm over on the other side of the, the, the parking lot and I'm videoing it and I can hear her saying, oh, that's the color truck I want, Right? <laughs> what's that truck doing in my space? <laughs> and then she saw the card on the windshield, right? That's gotten me a lot of good, 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 never mind. Um, <laughs> I lost a way to say that. That was really bad. Uh, my wife was pleased that her lover was still, after 35 years, pursuing her, right? Okay? God's never going to stop pursuing you. God's never going to stop loving you. God is always going to be there. The triumph of the skies. And here's the really cool thing about it. Even in the midst of your pain today, even in the midst of my struggles today, even in the midst of our anxiety today, we know God wins. So what we sing today as a hope is actually already a, remi a reality 
in the mind of the living, holy, and eternal God. He is not temporarily easing our pain or giving us a false hope. The songs that were sung this morning remind us that it is a salvation now and it's a salvation forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the, the sermons and the songs this morning. We thank you that we, we just aren't singing of Christmas time uh, or love in a generic sense or, or in any way kind of just wishful thinking that, that everything would be all right and it's Christmas time so we're supposed to be happy. Father, I thank you that there is substance, there is eternal substance in the words we sing because they're words about your work of salvation in our lives. Their praise that is do your name. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for the work and the effort of Sarah and the choir. We thank you for the, the wonderful um, job they did in presenting this message of salvation. But, Father, we pray that we wouldn't just be moved by the music, but that we'd be moved forever by what's behind it. God who loves us, prepared a place for us for eternity meets us in our sorrow and our pain this very day and will never leave us and will never abandon us. Father, give us reason to rejoice, to sing Noel to your son, the Lord Jesus, both now and forevermore, we pray in his name. Amen. Singing joy to the world. with us this morning. Uh, our prayer team is not going to be, do y'all want to be the prayer team at Stephen Ministers today? Yeah, probably not. So our Stephen Ministers prayer team, you guys will be over on this side uh, this morning. And let me just remind you very quickly, uh, Christmas Eve services, 2, 4, 6, and 11, no Christmas morning, okay? Nothing next Sunday. Don't come here next Sunday. We won't be here. Come on Christmas Eve. And then remember on New Year's Day, we have one service at 5 o'clock, followed by watching the Kirkwood fireworks display at 6.30. So all that's on the webpage. Just check the schedule to make sure you show up at the right time. And now, receive from the choir the Lord's benediction, which they gladly sing to you in his name.
Go in peace. How are we doing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah.